All right, fun. You know, Easter is just a, obviously the absolute highlight of the Christian calendar, and for good reason, uh, because uh, Christ rose from the dead, and if he didn't, uh, we wouldn't be standing here today talking about it. Uh, it's uh, actually one of those days that's really fun to preach on because uh, it's the pinnacle of Christianity, but it's also admittedly one of the most difficult um, things to preach on because it's really just, in one sense, unbelievable, like unbelievably great, <laughs> unbelievably difficult to totally comprehend, uh, and yet so significant. Uh, so I want to uh, go through a little bit of the account to talk about the Easter story. But really, uh, you know, before I even do that, uh, I, I just want to pray for God's presence to be here. Because uh, in, in one sense, this is an impossible uh, job. I mean, either God speaks to you or he doesn't. So, uh, Jesus, we just acknowledge you. You died on the cross and that uh, you were, as you said, you would be uh, risen from the dead, and you did indeed rise, and uh, you then promised that you would send your Holy Spirit, and I just welcome your presence. Come Holy Spirit, you are welcome here today. And Jesus, I just pray that you would empower my preaching, and I just pray that you would open the heart so that you can speak to your people, and encourage them, and express your love for them today, in your name Jesus, Amen. Well, uh, you know, the four Gospels give an account of the life of Jesus, and they all end in the resurrection of Christ. And uh, the first Gospel, Matthew, uh, says this in Matthew 28, 6. Uh, we've got the, uh, the angel talking to the two Marys that go to the tomb to look for Jesus. And the angel says this. He says, He isn't here. He is risen from the dead. Just as he said it would happen. Come see where his body was laying. Now, you know, this, the resurrection of Jesus was uh, 2,000 years ago. And so there's a, a, a sense somehow or other that we can feel, ah, oh, it's a long time ago. It doesn't apply to us today or it's kind of getting old or, or whatever. But on the other hand, when we experience the power and the, the, the reality of Christ, the personalness of Jesus... Uh, this becomes a very real and meaningful and significant uh, event. Now, if there's two things that I want us to get out of this message today, it's that God wants relationship specifically with you. I mean, God wants to uh, have you as a friend, as a part of his family. God wants relationship. And relationship, whatever way that might be, certainly means that he speaks to you. And we can hear him. And he encourages us. And that's the second part of uh, what I wanted us to get out of this me message. One, that he wants relationship. And two, that he is giving us or offering us eternal life. This is just an unbelievable loving act of Christ saying, I want to spend time with you. And I want to spend time with you eternally. And I understand that from a natural standpoint, it's like, yeah, my head can't get around that. I can't grasp it. Life just seems very much temporal. It just seems like we, we're born, we have a good time, and then we die. But Jesus is saying a whole different thing. He's saying the focus isn't actually on this life. The way we live this life determines eternity. And so let me try and tell the Easter story of the Bible uh, 
this way. You know, some try and uh, thread a theme throughout the whole Bible. And uh, one, I, one way of doing that is to see God as a missional God. Like God is on a mission. And God has always been on a mission. So the first two chapters of the very first book of Genesis, you've got Adam and Eve, and they're living with God in perfect relationship. I mean, this is God's ideal, that uh, he creates us in his image, and uh, there's things to do, they've got to tend the garden, but they're in perfect relationship with God. Uh, then, as we know the story, uh, they are disobedient, and they sin, and two things happen. There's separation from God, the relationship is not the same, and death enters the world. And then if you fast forward right to the end of the Bible, to the last book of the Bible, Revelation, we've got the recreation of a new heaven and a new earth. Jesus is saying, I'm going to be returning. And when I return, I'm going to reestablish this perfect harmony and relationship with my people. And they are going to live with God, with Jesus, uh, for eternity. So the first two books of the Bible start with this narrative, and the last two books of the Bible end with this narrative. But in between, we see in God's mysterious way, and it is a mysterious way, it's not the way I would have scripted the story, or you would script the story, or, but God has chosen to reveal himself uh, incrementally through different people throughout time. But it's like God is revealing himself more and more and more so as time goes on. So, you know, if God doesn't reveal himself to us, we have no possible way of intellectually access, accessing God. God has to reveal himself to us. And that's part of the mystery. And that's also part of our huge frustration because we want to control the way we think and we want to control, you know, our own destiny. And God is saying, unless I reveal myself to you, you will never figure it out. It'll just be a complete mystery. Which is why I'm praying up front, like, God, help us with that mystery. Reveal yourself to us today. So God starts off with using certain people, like Noah or Abraham. And Abraham's on this mission. God says, leave your country, and I'm going to bless you, and you're going to be uh, you know, significant in talking about me and revealing me and being blessed by me you know, to wherever I send you. And everybody around Abraham recognizes, like, man, this guy's got connection with God, and there's something different about him. You know, and so today we have all the three major religions, uh, Judaism, Christianity, and, and Muslims, all believing in Father Abraham and how God revealed himself to him. God was on a mission, revealing himself more and more and more to people. Then God chooses the Jewish people who were slaves in Egypt. They didn't deserve it. They, there was nothing super special about them. But God makes them a special people and says, I'm going to reveal myself and my relationship to them, and I'm going to create a whole new place for them to live. I'm going to move them out of Egypt as slaves, and they go into the promised land. And the big idea was that they were going to be so blessed that everybody else was going to say, I want in. Who is this God? Tell me about your God. And the idea would be that be able to access God at the temple and experience who God was. Well, that didn't go so well because, again, like Adam and Eve and like you and I, we just like have this ability to just not want to obey God. And so the Jewish people rebelled against God. And then God 
has a different plan, but it's actually the plan he had right from the beginning, part of the mystery, that he was going to send himself in the form of Jesus. Jesus was predicted throughout the Old Testament, hundreds of years before he actually showed up on planet Earth, you know, with great specifics, like where he was going to be born and how he was going to be crucified on a cross. I mean, just crazy specifics. Good Friday, uh, which we just experienced uh, on Friday, was a super significant day. And many of you were at some of our services. And uh, the idea with Good Friday, again, somewhat mysterious, is Jesus is saying, I'm going to do something really significant. I'm going to die on the cross. And what that is going to do, it's going to enable you and I to have relationship, back to what God wanted, relationship with God. You know, and in our natural, we sit and think, how is dying on a cross going to achieve that? I mean, we just don't get it. But from God's perspective, he's saying, it's going to do exactly what I want it to do. Firstly, it's going to show that Jesus really loves individual people. Like he's dying for you and for me. He's dying for the whole world, but he's dying specifically for you and for me. And he's saying, what is going to happen when I die on the cross is that I am going to make you perfect. And how is he going to do that? Because Jesus is perfect. Jesus lived a perfect life as a human. And so God says, I'm going to swap. I'm going to take Jesus' perfection and I'm going to give it to you. And Jesus is going to take all your imperfection and he's going to pay the price on the cross. And when we grasp that, we realize, whoa, this is like actually too heavy to actually grasp. And so we do our Good Friday services, and they're heavy. I mean, it's like they're awkward. Uh, it's uncomfortable. But there's something rich and meaningful about it if we can access what God is up to. And then Jesus has told his followers uh, that he is going to rise again. And as much as he's told them, they just don't get it. It's like super frustrating. And so Jesus rises again, and by golly, all his disciples are totally like shocked. Like, like what's happening, you know? And then they put the pieces together like, oh my gosh, this is really exactly what Jesus said. And it is going to happen the way it is going to happen. And then God, in his missional journey, sends out those ragtag team of disciples, like the most unlikely people. And they just like transform the whole world. I mean, like turn upside down this powerful Roman Empire and still unfolding and unturning upside down the world today. I mean, it's just it's really incredible what, you know, that Christianity has been unstoppable as much as everybody that dislikes Christianity has tried to stop it. And so this mission of God is still carrying on. And Jesus has told us, he said, when every tribe, when every people group has heard the gospel, Jesus is going to return. And so we, we live in this age where it's like, okay, with computerization and, you know, and accelerated travel, I mean, like, Pretty much, we're getting close to everybody having heard the gospel. So we also thinking, okay, that crazy statement that Jesus made that he's coming back is like, okay, not so crazy. And that would be, you know, one way of threading a theme throughout the whole Bible from beginning to end that God is on a mission and his mission is he wants relationship with us and he's got an end idea that he wants to spend eternity with us and he wants you to be in eternity with him. And the way into eternity is believing in Jesus, that he did die on the cross, that he does love you, and that God does indeed want relationship with you. It's a, 
a faith statement. But that's the mission of God. I've given you a, 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 an outline. If you want to <clears throat> follow along, you're welcome to. And really, what I'm saying, in, what I'm trying to point out in this in this outline, uh, is that God is becoming more and more and more personal uh, with His dealings with us. Firstly, I'm starting with general encouragement. God is generally encouraging us. So the most well-known verse, certainly in North America, would be John 3:16, and it says this. For this is how God loved the world. He gave His one and only Son, so that everyone who believes in Him will not perish, but have eternal life. And the reason that's such a powerful statement is it sort of summarizes what God is up to. He's saying, I've sent my Son, Jesus. If you believe in what's hap- what He did, dying on the cross and being resurrected, He's giving everybody the opportunity to have eternal life. And, you know, the more you start digging into Scripture and you're realizing the power and the reality of that, you say, whoa, this is, a, this is like a really unbelievably powerful thing. You know, how does our story and your story intersect with God's story of missions? Well, we're still up to the, doing missions today. In fact, two weeks ago, when my friend John Gargan and I, a leader in this church, were on a missions trip to the Dominican Republic, and we're doing exactly what Jesus told us to do. Go into all the world and make disciples. That was his you know, parting comment after he was resurrected. And so we went down to the Dominican Republic and we had a very spe- I had a very specific uh, purpose on this particular trip. I wanted to go and see the other vineyard churches down there. Uh, some of them I hadn't uh, met the pastors before. I wanted to encourage the pastors and I wanted to develop relationship with them. Encourage them and develop relationships with them. And what I expect the churches down there to do is to preach the gospel and to reach their own people. And so that's what the church, you know, generally is up to. I mean, it's trying to reach the people in their community. And that's what we're trying to do here locally in Hopkinson. And so I've got a couple of fun photos of our wonderful trip. Um, John Gargan and I stayed in this hotel uh, with my limited Spanish. You'll see the hotel is called Hotel Mi Disconsento. And it means like my rest. You know, this is one of those high-end hotels, like for 19 bucks. Uh, we had our room. Uh, and it comes with an awesome, like, full-in spa, you know, swing pool. But that's 10 miles down the road at that uh, at that swimming hole down there, which is actually a pretty unusual sight. You're in the, sort of a deserty part of the pl- world, and he has this crystal clear water, just like fantastic. And then we have another amazing sight. Uh, I'm with my pastor, Morena. She's the pastor in, at the church that we started in the Dominican Republic, and we discovered these ostriches. I mean, like she'd never seen an ostrich before in her own country. I'm like, here you go. Like, you know, wonderful thing. But, you know, here's the, here's the strange thing. So we're doing all this travel, and it's, man, we traveled. We traveled and traveled. Yeah, so it's like 10 and a half hours of traveling in 30 miles an hour. It's like, uh, uh, uh. Yeah, you, it's, it's a lot of travel. So the funny thing is, we're we, 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 on our way home, and we're coming into the first time we see the big signboard. It says, Porta Plata. And that's, Morena's like the big city. And she just gets this huge smile on her face. Porta Plata, the most wonderful city in the world. And I'm looking at her, and I'm like, what city are you talking about? Oh, it's so great. It's not crime infested like Santiago where we were just being. And it's a whole lot safer than Santo Domingo, the capital city, where there's just a lot of really bad people and thugs. But Porta Plata, 
And I'm like, wow, I, there really is something about home. And then she says, you know, and my house, and this is a picture of her house. This is like the room going to a bathroom. And of course, they had flooding, so the passageway is a little... Uh, she'd kill me if she knew I was showing her photo. <laughs> Nobody wants, no, no woman wants their house to be shown in, in church. But anyway, we won't tell her that we're showing out. But she says this. She says, my house is the best house in the world. I can't wait to sleep in my bed tonight. And I'm like, there it is. And I said, Morena, you didn't like my house? You didn't like Boston? Oh, no, no, no. I don't like Boston. You, you can stay in Boston. Porta Plata. I mean, my house. And you know what? There's something, there's something, as she was saying, I'm like, this is so true. You know, we love our own bed, our own house. She says, the people, they understand me. I understand them. I'm accepted there. In Boston, nobody understands me. You guys should eat bread and bread and bread and bread. I never saw any beans. And, you know, I'm like, keep your beans. I like the bread. You know, and so that's how it is. But, but here's the point. There's some, God has put something in us. And in, he says, we have, he's put eternity in our hearts. And there's something that when we connect with God, it feels like home. It feels like, ah, oh, everything just seems right. It seems like God understands me and all my phobals and all my weirdness. God knows me and understands me and he's encouraging me and he like loves me. And this is what we often experience when we come to church. We say, this is my church. I like my people. I like the way we do it. But it's just like a little foretaste of what God's really up to for eternity. He wants us to have that sense of, ah, oh, finally, we're at home. We're doing and living the way God wants us to live. But it's not only that. Uh, more specifically, God wants to encourage us, not just generally, but specifically. And in the Bible, in John chapter 11, there's this incredible story about Lazarus. And the reason this story is so incredible is it's sort of like a, a pre-telling of what Jesus is going to do on the cross. In other words, rise from the dead. And in this story, uh, Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. But the story unfolds this way. Uh, Jesus is really friendly with Lazarus and his two sisters. And, the, and word comes to him that Lazarus is sick. And please, can he come and heal Lazarus? And uh, people have seen Jesus heal and they know that he can do it. And Jesus says something to his disciples. He says this. He says, look, Lazarus is not going to die. Uh, something's going to happen that's going to really build your faith. And classic disciples and classic you and I were like, eh, yeah, what's that mean? They don't get it, right? And so then finally Lazarus dies. And then the word comes to La back to Jesus, don't worry, you know, I know you needed to stick around and just keep preaching, but, you know, Lazarus has died, so just stay where you are. And, Lazarus, and Jesus says, no, 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 no. Uh, and he gets there, and he gets to Mary's place and, and Martha's house, and uh, they're super upset. And, uh, and then before Jesus raises Lazarus, he has this discussion with the sisters. And it's really, it's really an interesting dialogue. He says this. Uh, this is John chapter 11, and I'm going to just pick it up on verse 23. Jesus told Martha, your brother will rise again. Yes, Martha said, he will rise again when everyone else rises on the last day. In other words, there was this Jewish understanding and we have this Christian understanding that there's going to be an end of time and people will rise again. And, he, and then Jesus told her, and he, this is super important, I am 
the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live, even after dying. Everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never die. And then he says, do you believe this, Martha? Okay, now, this is a question that Jesus is basically asking you and I today. It's like, based on the scanty evidence that we have, and the scanty fact pattern that we have, Jesus is challenging us and he says, do you believe? In other words, will you believe in me? And this is before he's raised Lazarus, right? And then he raises Lazarus. So, you know, the story is just incredible. Uh, they're weeping, they're crying, and, and, uh, and then she, and Jesus says, and he's kind of angry because of death, and, and he says, go, let's go to the, the, the cave, to the tomb, and uh, let's roll the, sto the stone aside. And then in verse 38, Martha says, she protests, and she says, Lord, but he has been dead for four days. The smell will be terrible. Okay, let's just like let that set in. Lazarus is dead. He's not sick. He's not just having a bad day. He's not just overcoming a cold. There's no like circumstances which are coming together and he just like rebounds. No, no, he is dead. He's like dead, dead. He's so dead, he's stinky dead. He's dead, dead, stinky dead. Okay, four days dead. I mean, nobody wants to unroll. Yeah, he's dead. And Jesus yells at him and says, Lazarus, come out! And Lazarus is like recovered, you know, and he's got two clothes around him and they're unwrapped him. And there's something really bizarre about this story. After this, the people want to kill Jesus and they want to kill Lazarus. It's like, what does the poor guy do? I mean, like, he just like, you know, but everybody wants, the leading priests want to kill Lazarus. Why? Because when Jesus is at work, he'll either make you mad or he'll make you glad. And if you're not mad or you're not glad, you're like dead. I mean, like you're spiritually dead or you're just like checking out. But if you're here in church, I'm, I'll either make you mad or glad. I mean, believe me, it's one or the other. And I'm trying to make you glad. But anyway, they want to kill uh, Lazarus too. And, you know, in today's age, there's just so many weird challenges where people try everything possible to make Jesus other than who Jesus was. God who died on the cross and rose again. I mean, people try everything. I mean, Thomas Jefferson was a classic. You know, he says, to, hey, I want two King James Bibles, bring them down to the White House. And he goes through the King James Bible. You, you probably know this story. And he cuts out everything that's miraculous. Okay, so like virgin birth, whoop, don't need that. Miracle of Jesus, whoop, don't need that. And then, like, he's left with only one in ten verses. And he puts them all together, makes a little compilation. And uh, he, he's got a little booklet called The Life and Morals of Jesus of Nazareth. Now, isn't that so much nicer? I mean, so much more palatable. He was a good guy. He preached. He was just a nice guy. But none of this foolishness, like miracles and resurrection. Just, like, get rid of that. I mean... It's crazy. And this is America, so, you know, business is, like, really important. And, like, way back in 1920, some guy said, you know what? I know who Jesus really was. And there was a famous book written by this guy, Bruce Barton, 1920. The man nobody knows. 
And this book was a top seller because you know that Jesus was just a marketing executive that you could just die for. I mean, like this thing, this Christianity, this church has just spread. And this was the secret. This is how you do it. Top seller. Boom, boom, boom. All right. And then just a few years ago, you know, we had uh, Dan Brown, the Da Vinci Code. And everybody's just devouring this. Oh, this is so great. And Jesus married Mary Magdalene and he had a kid. And I mean, like. Can you just read the Bible and like ignore all this other foolishness? But no, people don't. It's like, Dan Brown, he's finally got it. Have you ever read the Bible? No, but this stuff is good, man. It's so good. Making Jesus into anybody and anything that we wanted to make him in. And like, can you just stay with the main and the plain, the Bible? And then you got the missing years of Jesus. Oh my gosh, you know, those silent years where the Bible doesn't say anything from like when Jesus was 12 to 30. And, you know, people, conspiracy, just if there's nothing said, we'll make it up. Now, Jesus really went, you know, during those missing years, uh, he went all the way over to Kashmir, India, and he met with the Buddhists. I mean, do you know that? I mean, speak to some Buddhists, here's one. Uh, Do you know that story? Yeah, Uh, we'll speak afterwards. Yeah, Jesus went to the Buddhist camp in those silent years, and he picked up a bit of Buddhism. But, uh, I mean, if you're British, oh my gosh. Then they, they even wrote a hymn about this because, of course, Jesus went to England. Here's the hymn by William Blake. You know this one? Here's the, here's the other. And did those feet in ancient time walk upon England's mountains green? And was the holy Lamb of God on England's pleasant pastures seen? No! <laughs> like you want to pull your hair out. But, you know, if you the British Empire in the 1800s, like, it's like you the powerhouse. And so, of course, you know, God's got to come to you and you write a nice hymn. And you think Americans, we exempt from this. Oh, no, no, no. The Mormons, like after Jesus' resurrection, he showed up in, you know, you know this, like, in New, you know, upstate New York. No! Can we just stick with the I mean, I mean, the Bible's tough enough with, you know, what Jesus did do and didn't do, but... When, when you leave it to people to make up imagination things, I mean, it gets really kind of crazy. But anyway, let me just finish with this. Personal, personal encouragement. Jesus wants to encourage you and me personally. And we really have to get this. This is not like something which is necessarily that obvious. You know, there's one day I, I came back from church. I had a really discouraging day. I, I probably preached terribly, and, and, and uh, I went home, and Liz, my wife, is super encouraging. You know, Liz is always encouraging me, and even on a bad day, she's encouraging me. But Liz was, like, busy elsewhere, and I come home, but, you know, I had a poodle, a miniature poodle. Now, this guy was super hyper. And that's actually why I liked him. And uh, when I'd come home, he'd be at the top of my stairs, and he'd get so hyper, like his butt would be waggling like this, and his front legs were going like this, and, and he was just like, and, and you knew he was going to jump up on you, and as much as I trained him not to jump, he just was going to jump up on me. And it was so exciting. And this particular day, I come up the stairs, and my dog's lying on the couch, and he kind of looks up at me, just like one eye, and he goes back to sleep, and I'm like, oh... Not even my dog's going to encourage me. Let me tell you, there's a lesson to be learned here. The only person that's going to encourage you is God. And when the Holy Spirit encourages you, man, you don't need comfort food. You're not even getting immersed in drugs or, or alcohol or you know, other people's uh, patting on the back. God, God will encourage you in whatever you... It's just like a great lesson to, to learn. 
We need to be dependent on God. Now, a final story. After Jesus' resurrection, he wants to encourage Peter. Because Peter had messed up really, really, really badly. I mean, Peter has the last supper with Jesus, and Jesus says to him, Listen, Peter, you're going to deny me. You're going to deny me three times. And Peter's like, No, 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 I'll die for you. I won't deny you. Because we always think we're so smart, and our faith is so good, and we've got it all figured out. And Jesus, no, you're going to deny me. And so Jesus is on trial. Peter's standing around a, a charcoal fire, and they ask him, weren't you one of them? Weren't you one of the disciples? And Peter's like, no, nope, nope, nope. And then he, Peter denies him three times. After Jesus' resurrection, Jesus does two things. He appears to the disciples, and one of the things he does is he has fish that he's cooking on the beach, and he's doing it on a charcoal fire. Now, the reason this is important is this. Jesus wants to replace a bad memory with a good memory, and this is a form of prayer that we do in this church too. Uh, often, things will happen in our lives which we can't uh, help, uh, but they're really traumatic or they're bad, and we need to replace a bad memory or a bad emotion with a positive one. And so what Jesus does is he has Peter come and join him with, for fish, and he's saying, I am the resurrected one. And Peter's like, wow, this is incredible. But he's doing it over a charcoal fire. So the memory for Peter of charcoal fires is now forever replaced. It's a good memory. It's like, this is the resurrected Jesus. Jesus is personal. That's all I'm trying to get with the story. And he works in personal ways in your life and in my life. If we can let him and if we will recognize him. And Jesus wants two things. He wants relationship with us and he wants to spend eternity with us because he loves us. And it's the ball's in our court. Will we believe in him? You know, we don't have to have all the facts figured out. But it's like, can we believe in him? And Jesus is urging us. He's saying, I'm not going to change. God's not going to change. He's saying, you need to change. Will you believe? Will you trust what I've done? I died on the cross. I made a way for you. Will you believe that I died and that I was resurrected and I am fully God and I do know you and I know everything about you and I love you and I'm for you and I want to bless you and I want to give you the greatest life you can possibly have on earth, but mostly it's directed towards eternity. That's the message that Jesus wants to leave us for Easter. And I want to, I want to end there because we want to come back after worship and do communion. And uh, I, just want, I just want the Spirit of God to move on you. One of the worship team coming up. God, I just pray for your people. Lord, that we can access how awesome you are. That you know us. That you love us. That you're for us. That you forgive our sins. That you know that we are not perfect. And yet you are. And you're looking at your perfection and imputing it to us. You're giving it to us. And that's just remarkable. We can't comprehend that. But God, we can comprehend when you do these what seem like coincidences in our lives, when you do things that are personal, that you encourage us. So Lord Jesus, I just pray for your people that we can think about the things that you have done and are doing in our lives and for us. In your name, Jesus. Amen.